Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, we get to hear from I, Kubo. And what's really cool about uh, this particular conversation is it's taking place the day after her 50th birthday. She is a Valentine baby. Her name, I've come to learn, actually means love. So I'm looking forward to bringing this lovely person and conversation to you guys. You're going to learn a lot about health coaching, about I's particular path, and you might learn a thing or two about what's next for you. I welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And happy birthday. Thank you. You said when we were chatting earlier that um, you've been preparing for this day, this 50th birthday for a year. Tell us what that preparation was about. Yeah, so when I turned 49 a year ago, I was already thinking, okay, this is my last year, you know, being in my 40th. And um, I do this usually with my New Year's intention, like before January comes, I think about what I want for that new next year. Instead of, you know, January 1st comes, you're like, what am I going to do? Like, I didn't want that to happen for my 50s. Like when I'm 50, I wanted to know exactly which direction to go to. So that was uh, in my mind when I turned 49. And I did do a lot of contemplation of what I wanted to see because I was, beside having a full-time job, I was teaching yoga a lot still. And I asked myself, do I still want to continue teaching yoga as my main side gig or do I want to do something else and I was doing everything I was doing in my epidemiology job and and my yoga teaching and health coaching and I realized it's just too much to do everything so over time I dropped teaching yoga like regular public classes and I started to learn more about business I don't know anything about business so I decided that I should learn something about business so that was a big thing I did and yeah, I, yesterday I turned 50 and I felt like I, I was on the path. I was just beginning, yeah. but still I didn't have to wonder what I will do this year. So that felt good. Well, I want to give our audience a little more context for all the things you said. Well, I am an epidemiologist, so I, I'm not a clinician. Okay. We conduct research. Uh, we interact in more indirect way because we have to talk to them through getting surveys and we do interventions. I do have a relationship with patients, but I do work with big data. So epidemiology is study of data science. So we look at data and look at, look for trend. So we know we try to find the causes of diseases. I am a cancer epidemiologist. So we look for ways to improve quality of life once they get diagnosis. 
And I did a lot with mindfulness because I'm a yoga teacher. So I did intervention using mindfulness for people who are going through chemotherapy because I cared about their well-being. It's such a stressful time. So I wanted to find out a way to relieve that stress. And doctors don't talk about these kind of things. So I use different approaches to work with uh, patients indirectly. And I studied nutrition. So I do research on what kind of diet and style can affect cancer incidences. And that's things that I've done. So your full-time work really in being someone who had firsthand knowledge of how people were being affected by food, by wellness, by, in your case, yoga practices, the impact that could have, that was all informed by the, the research you were doing, correct? Yes. And was that a lifestyle you were living for yourself? Were you generally a person who paid a lot of attention to health and wellness? Or did that come from the work, the full-time work that you were doing and you thought, oh, I, I better start paying attention for my own health and wellness? I think I was interested. I wouldn't say I had a very healthy lifestyle per se. I still don't have the conventional way of defining how what healthy is which yeah. we can again get into yeah uh, having grown up in Japan and I also lived in France before I came to the U.S. to me food is something we enjoy yeah. you know instead of being obsessed and stressed about so for me healthy eating is a balanced way of eating without doing something extreme I did practice that and I still practice that kind of lifestyle yes <laughs> I think most of our listeners are going to be happy to hear that. And also, I think when we approach anything with that sort of balanced frame of mind, then there's um, the opportunity for it to be sustainable is so much higher. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's the motto. Yeah. Rather than it being something that we sustain for three months, get amazing results from, and then six months later, we're right back in the same place. Okay. So just so we're tracking, you have a full-time job. Then somehow you decide, oh, I should go out and become a yoga instructor too. And you go out and get certified in nutrition. Like you're doing lots and lots of things. How are these things all in your mind heading in a direction outside of your career? Like if you already have a full-time job, are these just hobbies and interests or are you doing all of them because you have something in mind that you want to create on the side? It's a really good question. And so it didn't happen that way, actually. Well, I came from Japan. And you didn't speak English, right? I did not speak English. And it's that amazing. was 1996. And I really wanted to study nutrition. I was interested in the back of my mind, like so how people, you know, what we eat can affect our health. So I was studying nutrition and nutritional science was not what I wanted to do. It was about you know, animal science and I, that's not what I wanted to do. And I found this field called epidemiology. And those days, nobody knew what epidemiology was, but there was a class on nutritional ep epidemiology that talked about, I just happened to run into this class where they talked about how Japanese people move from Japan to Hawaii and Hawaii to US, you know, over generations, yeah, yeah. the 
risk of cancer goes up like so much more. So I was like, that that has to, to be something to do with diet because, you know, mm-hmm. in Japan, we eat very differently from what we do here. So that made me get interested in this whole area of epidemiology. It was much more population based. You know, like we were not looking at rats and see how the, what the mechanism of, of vitamin C metabolism was. You know, so it was much more aligned to what I was interested in. So I, I focused on that. And while I was getting my master's, I went to UC Berkeley. Or even before that, I, I was really, really stressed. I was a mess because I didn't speak English. I didn't know anything about science. I didn't have family. I didn't have money. So... <laughs> I was really stressed because I told my family in Japan, if I didn't get into this program at UC Berkeley, I would come home, which mm. I didn't want to do. So I would study hard. I had to carry around, you know, cassette tape recorder because I couldn't take notes just listening to professors. So I studied all night. I was drinking coffee and I was like a mess. I, I couldn't sleep. Like I had major insomnia. Eventually, somebody invited me to a yoga yoga class. And those days, there was no yoga studios. It was like a YMCA kind of yoga class. Yeah. But somehow, it helped me sleep over time. So I was hooked. And I was like, oh, my God, I want to do this because it's, it's saving my life. I decided to become a yoga teacher after a few years, like after well, as I was finishing my master's degree. I'm like, I want to actually show that this works for science and the only way to show anything to doctors was to do research and I was like I'm gonna get the PhD so I can show that yoga and meditation mindfulness work for human health so my yoga came first then I decided to get the PhD I went to Columbia University and I told them I want to study yoga and they were like you're not studying (laughs) yoga (laughs) They were not very happy at all about this idea. Mindfulness now is very mainstream. Like everybody does mindfulness. If you go to corporate or like even, you know, like professional athletic groups. But those days, nobody knew about mindfulness. They were about to kick me out of the program if I was going to study mindfulness. (laughs) So they're like, you need to do something very mainstream that's safe and you know, like just demonstrate that you can do more normal research. So I'm like, okay, I still had background in nutrition, did a decade of study of nutrition and cancer until they're like, okay, you are, you know, decent researcher. Now, you know, that wow. by then mindfulness was more recognized. So now I have NIH and you know, I have federally funded grants, you know, on mindfulness studies really like doing big randomized studies, like trying to figure out if mindfulness can help prevent postpartum depression and things like that. So it's been a long journey. So I didn't really think like, okay, I have a full-time job and I'm going to do yoga teaching. Yoga came first. So I always Uh taught yoga, like even when I was starting my PhD program. So we have a little bit of background. Thank you for that. And I didn't realize the yoga came first. It makes sense why this is such a foundational piece of the work that you've been doing. So talk to us about what itch did you need to scratch that your full-time job wasn't enough and everything you just described to us, your very intentional education, the work you're doing, the data that you're finding um, and helping to inform how we should be living. Why was that not enough? What was it about going into health coaching that you felt 
was important to you as a woman, as you know, somebody who could provide information to those who needed it. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I never felt like my full-time job was not enough, per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened is, as I was finishing my PhD, I became pregnant with my first daughter, and this is like 17 years ago. And before I was pregnant, I was with my now husband and we met through yoga. So we were like very into yoga. We were just beginning to teach yoga and we had this super yogic lifestyle. We would wake up at 5 a.m., do two hours of yoga practice. We had pretty much vegetarian kind of diet. We only drank tea, never drank coffee or alcohol. Not like we were trying to be healthy, but that just, just yeah. came it naturally. Was just into, it was a yeah, part yeah, of yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. And the moment I got pregnant, I had really bad morning sickness. And that prevented me from eating anything that was what we were eating. Like I couldn't eat vegetables. I couldn't eat brown rice. I couldn't eat, you know, like tofu. Yeah. So, and I was just craving for comfort food, like American comfort food. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to eat meat because I, my body was craving for that iron, protein. That protein, and yep. my husband, he was like trying to be supportive of me. So he started to eat the same way. Then once I had the baby, we did home birth and she was born here. But like many other parents, like, like it's really tough to have a baby, you know, with your sleep is, is deprived. Sure. And we were up like 4 a.m. every day. And the moment the sun is up, we would wrap her up, you know, in the Moby wrap or ergo and we go for a walk. That was our like favorite part of the day. And super early in the morning, we got, we got Pete's coffee around the corner. We have coffee and there's this amazing bakery in our neighborhood. And we go to the bakery and we get pastries and we did that every day. And at the same time, I was finishing my PhD. So I, I had my epidemiology job, but I took my maternity leave so I can finish my dissertation. So every time baby was asleep, I would go to my desk, try to finish my dissertation. Super stressful. So by the evening, we were like, okay, we started to have wine, right? Like we need to wind yeah. down from this crazy life. So we would have wine and the whole cycle continued like sure. okay, coffee in the pastry in the morning and wine <laughs> at night and it's like very familiar for a lot of people but you know so eventually my body was like very tired like I was so tired and I thought okay you know, new mom everybody's tired and my brain stopped functioning so I, I was not as productive I really wanted to finish this dissertation before I had to go back to work but I couldn't think I was in this like kind of like a zombie state and I decided to go see my acupuncturist because I said, I need something. I, I need some help. And she said, you know what? Your organs are exhausted. Your adrenal gland is exhausted. You need to do something about your lifestyle. So she put me on this reset diet. It was very simple, like, oh, no coffee, no alcohol, no processed food. So I'm like, that's easy. That's exactly how I was just a few months ago, right? So I did that. It was just a week or 10 days. And within a few days, I was dying. I was so dying. I don't know. I I didn't know why I was dying, but I was literally over my computer at my desk. I couldn't do anything. I had 
bad headache. I was nauseated. I had like achiness in my body. And I thought either I was having the flu or I was pregnant again. Like I, I was dysfunctional and it was really scary. So after a while, I just did some research and realized that I was just having major caffeine withdrawals, which I didn't realize it was so severe. Right. So the lesson was after this reset, after 10 days, I felt so much better. I was like, my brain worked. So I was able to finish my dissertation. I was more energetic. I could sleep. So I was pretty impressed by about a few things. One was, okay, simple reset works. Like it, it, it helps you in so many ways. Um, but the biggest lesson was like anybody who is like me, who knows all about nutrition, who had this amazingly healthy lifestyle can slip into this kind of vicious cycle. Like you can't get out so quickly right so i'm like if i get into this so fast like i'm sure there are so many people who are in the same uh, situation and i every time i learn something i always want to share at the studio yoga studio that i was teaching at at that time i did this three-week program to teach them uh, the same kind of thing and because I have all this science background in nutrition, I can actually teach people about different kinds of food. And I did a lot of research on different kinds of reset, like why this is this works for human health. Like I, there was a lot of years between I did this and I started teaching because I wanted to have a program. Sure. And in the meantime, I also got certified as a health coach because I mean, who am I to be able to teach anything? Even though I have knowledge, it was different. You know, knowing something is different from being able to coach somebody. So I wanted to be certified as a health coach. So that all kind of organically happened because I really wanted to share my experience and how powerful this um, reset was. So that's how I became kind of randomly a health coach. I just did like twice a year of this reset program. At the yoga studio? No, the, after the first time, I realized what I needed to teach was cooking. I love cooking and it's something I really enjoy and food is such a big part of my life. The yoga studio didn't have a kitchen, so it was sure. really hard for me to show people how to cook. So I immediately moved to my house where we meet in this living room. Uh, we meet as a group and we do you know, discussion, coaching session. Then half the time we go to a kitchen and we do hands-on cooking class. And that's where people learn how to make healthy, delicious food really fast. I work mainly with busy people. Sure. Mostly women who are parents and also working. Like, you know, we don't have time to be cooking every day, every meal. So I teach them like the time management, how to do meal prep. So you can always eat healthy food that are not boring, you know, that has to be delicious and abundant. Right. You don't feel deprived. So it's becoming like, it's like a half cooking class and half science-based like teaching kind of workshop. It's funny, those busy, busy people are the ones that need to be nurtured the most. And because of their busy lifestyle, we often reach for the things that are processed, are pre-made, are easy to access. 100%. Yeah. So I'm sure that the cooking lesson, the benefit of that is we're seeing firsthand how simply 
these things can be made, how easy they are, because often it's intimidating. Even if you see it in an Instagram reel, these are the ways you make it. Sometimes you have to see somebody else doing it to believe that it's something that you could do. So you have people coming to your home. And how often were you doing that, again, while you're holding down a full-time job? I was doing it twice a year. Okay, this was still the twice a year. Yes, I didn't even call this as my health coaching business. In my mind, it was part of my yoga teaching, actually, because I was only targeting my yoga students. You know, I was teaching yoga and say, hey, I'm doing this reset. Do you want to come? So it was a very small scale thing that I was doing, you know, out of my uh, living room and house. Then, of course, COVID hits and I couldn't do that anymore. So I had to really figure out how to offer through Zoom. Sure. I wanted to reach people who were not local. So that COVID was actually really good for me to figure out how I can do this remotely so I can also reach more people. I want to ask you about that. But before we get into that, what you just said is is really the reason I wanted to bring you on the show. What you talked about is your own curiosity, your own learnings about how this impacted you in your own life, this vicious cycle of not eating well. And then you didn't have this big grand plan to turn it into a business. You just began offering it to people twice a year. Did you charge people money? I did, but very, very little. (laughs) I barely made any money. Yeah, and that's okay. I think, you know, everybody who's listening to this has something different that they're either considering they want to do or that they want to actually put out into the world. And it's not, not every endeavor, not every venture is made for venture capital. And that's not to say that you couldn't one day expand what you're doing. And in fact, that is actually what you're doing is you're expanding and kind of taking it to the next level by having the website and starting to offer things that go beyond your living room. But what I want people to hear in your story is that you took something that was meaningful for you. You started very, very small, very, very organically by bringing people into your living room and your kitchen and teaching them something and charging something nominal. What's brilliant about that is as you start doing that, you better understand your appetite, no pun intended, but your appetite for this particular kind of work. You can talk all day long about, I want to be X, Y, Z when I grow up. But until you actually do it, you don't always know what the day-to-day brings. And if those things, those day-to-day tasks and to-dos actually continue to fuel you. So I want people to hear that in your story because I think it's really fundamental to how we think about what's next for us in midlife. Many of us may not want to return to a full-time anything. It may not be pivoting from one nine-to-five to another or one entrepreneurial venture to another. And I think it's an important piece of your story. So now what I want to know is what do you do during COVID and since COVID to expand the work that you're doing beyond your kitchen? Because it's obvious that it became something that you wanted to expand in some way, again, while holding a full-time job. So tell us a little bit about how you made it through COVID and now what you're doing to grow that offering as a health coach. 
Well, at the beginning of COVID, there was no way I was going to offer a program like this. It was too stressful people, sure. people to be doing any reset, right? That was a time everybody went for the most comfort food and, yeah. you know, the consumption of alcohol went, you know, sky high and everybody was eating pizza and ice cream. I was not going to say, hey, you need to do reset. Yeah. So I waited for a while, but when it was clear that it was not a short term, like three month shelter in place. I mean, everybody was getting so unhealthy, right? Like yeah. after like, I don't know how many months I waited for a long time before I said, you know what, it is about time. Like you can't keep living like this. I actually made a 10 day quick reset just through Zoom. And um, I had to also modify because we couldn't go shopping, if you remember. Yeah. I modified the program quite a bit so you can use things in the pantry. So it used to be a bit more strict, but I made it much less strict so people could use things that they already have at their house. I did everything on Zoom. I created a website where people can look at different recipes and presentations. I have a lot of presentations about different topics so that really helped me digitalize a lot of content. The last few sessions that I've done were hybrid. So mm-hmm. people who are local would come to my house and I would still have a bunch of people streaming through Zoom. So I would have a group of people in person and I, you know, we talk to people on Zoom at the same time. So, you know, people on Zoom would be watching the cooking session and I actually encourage them. I give them a shopping list. So they would have food in their kitchen as they're watching. So it's like a cook-along session that they can do with me. Nice. While in-person people are doing more hands-on, like watching me and helping me and maybe tasting food, while Zoom people are cooking the same thing in their own kitchen. So at the end of the workshop, they have like food on their table. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now. (laughs) Did you like the virtual part of it or do you prefer the in-person Everybody loves in person because it's so interactive and you get to meet people and you get to taste the food and it's so fun. Social, yeah. Yeah. It's challenging to do hybrid. I think that that's my realization right now. Having both is really challenging to manage. Like I'm trying to listen to people on Zoom while people eating the food. So next time I think I will do separate, like Zoom people will just be Zoom so I can focus and I can do a cook along with their pace while I can, you know, focus on the in-person people. I don't feel like in-person is going to be very sustainable long-term, you know, if I want to expand. Like, I can only fit, like, 12 people in my house. (laughs) Sure. So far, it's fun, but I just don't know how scalable that is in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the beautiful things about this digital world that we're in. For all of the pitfalls, technology is so available for us and we can scale like never before. We can actually be a one-woman show and reach people all over the world. This podcast is an example of that. The fact that so many people can essentially have a radio show and talk about whatever they wanna talk about and find a meaningful audience is evidence of that. So what does that mean for you as you consider what your future of health coaching looks like. I know that this 50th year is really important to you and it marks really thinking about a lot of those things. What does that future look like for you? How do you wanna impact the current audience that you've been impacting and beyond that? So tell us what's next for I, what's what's on the horizon? I have started private coaching because I 
value getting to know each person. Like I love the group program because of the dynamic and like how quickly people can transform in a short period of time. But yeah, I think it, it worked fine when I was 30. But now that I'm 50 and a lot of my clients are somewhere between 40 and 60, a lot of things happen to our bodies and everybody has different, unique circumstances, you know, different diagnosis or conditions. And in a group setting, I can't talk to each person to get to know their circumstance. Yeah. So private coaching has been really rewarding because I get to know them. I, we spend four months really trying to figure out their challenges, where they want to go, and I can really hold their hand moving through their behavior change and go towards where they want to go. And I see a huge improvement in each person. So that's something I've been doing. Again, not very scalable, but something I have been really enjoying. And with a group reset, I think my next step is really to be exposed to people outside of the community that I have been working with. I am starting to give talks, do workshops in different areas so I can meet people, new people who hopefully really wants to work with me, you know, through either like private coaching can be done anywhere, right? Because you can be living in Europe and I can still do Zoom. Sure. And the group reset program too, like I can do only virtual programs. So I can focus on people from all over the place, maybe having different time zones so I can touch more people's lives. That's, that's my really big goals. The other thing I really enjoy doing is to lead retreat. I've done many retreats as a yoga teacher, and I really love taking people to exotic places where they wouldn't have gone otherwise. Like we've gone to remote Mm -hmm. island in Greece. I've taken people to Japan, uh, Italy, Italian Alps, and it's like hiking trips. So it's really fun. I feel like we don't take care of ourselves when we are so busy. Like we do go on family vacations, right? But if you think about it, family vacations are a lot of work for moms. We yeah. all like you have to book everything. <laughs> yes. And once you get there, we are always researching things like where to eat, whenever they go shopping. So it's not really like a retreat kind of experience. Sure. So when people make that commitment to create, you know, invest in, in the time to take care of themselves, the effect lasts for so long. With COVID, I had to pause. I had to cancel many retreats because of the pandemic. But I'm just launching a new retreat that I'm leading later this year. So I'm really excited about it. Where are you going for that retreat? We are going to uh, Osa Peninsula in Costa Rica. Wow. Yeah, so that was one thing I really wanted to do when I turned 50. Like, I'm going back to elite retreats. Are you running those or are you part of a group and you're providing yoga? I'm running them. I love organizing retreats. Okay. My husband thinks I should become a travel agent. <laughs> to add to your, your long, yes, long resume. One more job. <laughs> so again, this is while having a full-time job because this is this is amazing to me. And for anybody who feels like they're putting something on hold because they have a full-time job and they just can't get to it, you're an inspiration story for them and really a way for them to model how to break into that thing little by little. So you went from two resets a year in your home. And how much one-on-one coaching were you doing before COVID? Were you doing any? I was not doing any because I was teaching a lot of yoga classes. So I had to drop that. 
So you're doing teaching yoga classes and two resets a year. Then COVID hits. Then you decide after some time in COVID that people need to get healthy. So you provide an online opportunity for them. You're doing a Zoomable opportunity for them. We come out of COVID, we're almost back to normal, let's say, and you decide it's time for me to start offering my retreats again. How many resets are you doing a year? I have been only still doing two. Okay. Remember, I still have my full-time yes. job. Also, I have two teenage daughters right. who are athletic. So they both play volleyball. I and understand they, that. Oh, my God. The constant sports, yeah. <laughs> Every weekend is taken for travel, for tournaments. Sure. Right? So it's hard for me to have three, four weeks of dedicated time. So yep. like, I could only do two. But I'm thinking that if I just do Zoom, I can do it from anywhere. So I can maybe, I'm really thinking of squeezing in one more. I usually do New Year's reset and post summer, okay. like fall reset after Rosh Hashanah time. It's both New Year's. I'm thinking of doing pre-summer, like spring reset, like 10 days or something. That's quick so I can reach more people. Those would be Zoomable, right? Just Zoom. It's going to be only Zoom. It's okay. So let's just go back to what that schedule is. So two resets you're going to do on Zoom, you're going to do retreats, and how many one-on-one coaching? I can only do four people at the time. Great. But again, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. This isn't about, oh, you could do more if you didn't have a full-time job. The whole point of me outlining that is I want people to hear what you are capable of doing. Sure, if you didn't have a full-time job, you could do more. But the point, again, is this is what I has been able to do with that full-time job. And then at some point, and I don't know if this is in your your near future, but at some point you will have the option of saying, do I want to continue that full-time job? Do I want to expand? Have I created something that's sustainable enough? Or I want to go into full-time. You're creating another opportunity for yourself to move into, which If you talk to anybody who's in the corporate world who's trying to do that transition in their 50s, that's very, very hard. So you're setting yourself up for a future success to whatever degree you want. And I think that's what's beautiful about your story. I have to ask you, as you've cobbled all of this together, there must be many friends who find themselves in your similar situation of having a full-time job and are curious about how you've launched something on the side. What do you say to them? What kind of um, advice do you offer anybody who has a full-time job that wants to launch on the side? Anything is possible. If you have a dream, you can do it. But, you know, you don't need to suddenly have a huge business, right? Like you can start small. And I think my biggest um, motto is not to be a perfectionist. And Mm -hmm. I teach this as a health coach, a lot of people are perfectionists. And so that's why there's there's the yo-yo, right? If you feel like you're failing, you go to the other direction. So to me, like since I'm doing so many things, I'm not a perfect epidemiologist. I'm not the perfect health coach and I'm not the perfect mom, but I'm okay. Like I'm doing my best as best as I can. And I'm okay with it. If you don't have that mental set, if you start judging yourself and criticizing yourself, it's really hard. So I think giving yourself a break, being kind to yourself, recognizing this is a challenging time because most of us at this age, we are taking care of kids. We are taking care of 
aging parents yeah. while we have a job and the business. Business is having a newborn baby, right? Yes. So not to be perfectionist and really invest in self-care because we tend to get carried away and ignore our health. And then we tend to forget like why we are doing this business. If we are sick, like what's the point of having a business? Kids will fail, parents will fail, and business will fail. So at this age, I'm like totally investing in self-care. And that would be my advice. That's great advice. And it's reminiscent of the very first thing you said about eating and balance. And so this is a through line in your life is to have that balance and to to do all of it so that you're enjoying your life, enjoying the people in your life, whether it's your elderly parents, your children, a partner, if you have one. I mean, there are a lot of relationships that that need our attention in addition to everything you already mentioned. So I appreciate how much that balance is carried through in your story. That advice right there could end the podcast. But before I let you go, I want to get into our fast five. If you had a favorite health hack, any practice for healthy eating, let's say, or a kind of healthy habit that people can incorporate into their day, what would you share with this over 40 listening crowd? Okay, so whenever I talk about health, it's always body and mind, right? Because without healthy body, you can't have a healthy mind and vice versa. So I'm going to tell you two things. Okay. For my body, I think doing reset twice a year, even the quick one, is really keeping me healthy. Energy is good. Sleep is good. My skin is good. It's been like a lifesaver for me. And for my mind, uh, meditation. Like I do, even when I am really busy, like even 10 minutes of meditation can ground me. I, I can still stay calm in the mm-hmm. midst of this crazy lifestyle. Yeah, that's super helpful. Again, two resets a year, and we'll get back to how you might be able to help us do that at the end of this, but two resets a year and then some sort of meditation practice. I'll just say for myself, walking without listening to any other podcast or Audible has been really meaningful. Just unplugging for that time has been a great release and I feel it throughout the day. 100%. What are you reading these days? I have a feeling you're probably uh, so busy. So I'm curious what you're <laughs> no, making time to reading. read. Oh, good. I'm actually, oh, I have this book here. Um, this book called All. This is by Dr. Keritner. He is a professor at UC Berkeley. And he's a psychology professor and he studies science of happiness. And this book just got released last month. Oh, wow. And he is saying that we are all all deprived, right? Like we are always looking at the phone. There's no awe in our phone or social media. He thinks that the biggest contributor of human happiness is awe. So yeah, that's when I'm like, I need to do more retreat because that's where we find out this like nature and animals and even like, collective energy as a group that's also a source of awe so i'm reading this and it's just so fascinating and i highly recommend it oh thank you for that tip that's awesome is it out on amazon do you know yes okay we'll we'll make it available in our show notes and then what's a piece of advice that you would give to a woman who's starting a business who again is looking at what you're doing especially in midlife, right? Is saying like, ah, do I have the energy? We just talked about the sandwich generation. We talked about kids doing sports. What do you say to her? If there's something 
they want to do, they should do it because life is short. Mm -hmm. And if I can do it, somebody who didn't even speak English (laughs) can do it, anybody can do it. So just do it. Well, I don't know about that. You're pretty special. (laughs) Your energy and your intellect and your curiosity. I mean, your thirst to learn and to share that knowledge is something really special. And we've witnessed it here. You mentioned having daughters. So I'll just, instead of asking you what you would say to your younger self about midlife, what are you going to say to them about this season of life, of what they can expect? I would tell her that getting old is, great we are so much uh, more confident Mm. you know we are not as insecure and we are wiser i remember clearly i was just making a birthday wheel the other day as i was you know having my birthday and i was looking through my old pictures and i just remembered when my parents turned 40 and they were young parents and i think i was only 10 or 12 mm-hmm. and I was like oh my god 40 is so old yeah it's end of life I literally <laughs> thought it was end of life <laughs> yeah and I was looking at their pictures they're like they looked like models they were so young <laughs> so I'm like I would tell her it's not end of life it's a beginning of life like yeah. you have much more knowledge you have greater confidence and you have nothing to lose at that yeah. point Yeah, I always say, and we have more connections. We have more experience. We have more knowledge. Sometimes we have more money, or at least we're a little bit more financially secure than we were in our 20s. It's in so many ways the foundation to begin something. And what that thing is, is up to us. But um, it's definitely not something to be squandered. We can never end an episode without asking women in pursuing your work, what has it done to liberate you as a woman? To me, this launching my business, it really reminds me of how far along I've come. And I recognize I couldn't be where I am without having to go through my life, which was filled with a lot of challenges. This may not be just, you know, exactly because of the health coaching business per se, but I feel like this stage had made me realize that, you know, perseverance uh, pays off and it gives me the feeling of freedom, liberation, knowing that anything is possible uh, for anybody. I'm not that special. I just have to persevere a lot of challenges. And the other thing is, this is something we didn't talk about. I grew up in Japan and If you know anything about Japan, it's a pretty traditional society where expectation is that women are supposed to get married, have kids and be a housewife. And that was exactly how I was kind of raised to. And I always wanted to get out of that box. Deep, deep inside, I think in the future, what I really want to do is to liberate people in that kind of boat of feeling like they're stuck in a box to like empower them that they don't need to be stuck in the box. They can do whatever they want. Well, you're a living example of that. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And I just know so many women who are listening will be inspired 
by your path and, and your journey, your road, but also I think motivated by what it took for you to get to where you are and maybe how they can do the same. Before we let you go, I just have to ask, how can we learn more about your reset and get a hold of you? Because I, I think a lot of our listeners are going to be interested in the work that you're doing. I think the easiest way is to find me on Instagram. It's okay. aikubo.coach, so A-I-K-U-B-O dot coach, like C-O-A-C-H. Uh-huh. And I have a bunch of links there about the reset and retreat, private coaching. And you can be on my newsletter. I try to send people informational blog articles uh, that I write. And people can always message me, direct message me, and I will definitely respond. Okay, we'll make sure and include that in the show notes. Thank you, I, for being with us. And again, happy birthday to you. Thank you. It was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And Liberty listeners, thank you guys for hanging out with us for this really special conversation with I. I know that you will have taken so much from it. And we will be back with another conversation next week. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.